Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. You can open up to 1 John chapter 3 as well as Galatians 3 and 4. And so I'm going to read to you now from God's word. 1 John 3 says this in verse 1, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. That is 1 John 3, 1. Then Galatians, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, we're going to start off with Galatians 3, verse 27. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. And if you go to chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the time came to completion, God had sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And you say, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. The word of God. Are you doing enough for God right now? I mean, I know you're tired. I know that with COVID virus for the last three months, you're tired and weary. But are you doing enough for God? Are you praying enough? Are you loving enough? Are you sharing the gospel enough? Are you influencing others enough for Christ? Are you loving your enemies enough? Are you doing enough for God? If you're like me, you would say, well, I'm I'm doing my best. I'm tired. I'm weary of uh, just keeping up with news story after news story while in social isolation. So I'm doing my best, Pastor. Go easy on me today. When I was in college, I went to college, and um, I decided to live that college life. I did what I wanted. I was not interested in walking with Jesus. Until, uh, over a several-month period, I saw uh, how empty my life was without Christ when I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. And over a week period, God just got a hold of my heart, and I repented. I repented of living my life the way I wanted to, of doing the things that I wanted to do. And it was a challenging thing, because even my friends were like, what happened to you over the past week? And I began wanting to walk with Jesus. And I was so thankful that Jesus had placed other Christians around me who had pursued me and loved me even when I was acting like a fool. But it wasn't long after I returned to walking with Jesus that I actually fell into this spiritual depression. I don't know if you've ever had a depression based on your spiritual life, but that's what I went through. And part of it was when I made that 180-degree turn, I wanted to make that 180-degree turn. And I made it with intensity. 
and I was ready to walk with Christ. And as I was walking with Christ, I kept going, what, what's really the bottom line of my relationship with God here? Like, what do I really need to focus on doing so that I can walk well with God? And so I thought, well, if I can just really focus on prayer, and I can pray enough, and I can pray for everybody, I can pray for everything, then that'll be it. If I just do prayer enough, then I'll be good. But I found that sometimes I just didn't want to pray. And I found that sometimes I got tired of praying, and sometimes I didn't have anything to pray. And so that was frustrating. And though I wanted to walk with the Lord, I found that sometimes the thoughts I had weren't very godly. And I thought, well, maybe I just focus on renewing my mind. And if that becomes the foundation of my walk with God, if I can just constantly have my mind renewed, if I can get there, uh, then that, that I'll have this joy with God. But I found that even as my mind kept being renewed and renewed and renewed, there was just more stuff in there that needed to get out. And even if I focused on having a, a, a mind that really focused on God, I always found there were parts of my mind that didn't want to focus on God and didn't want to focus on what God wanted me to focus on. So maybe if I just share the gospel enough, maybe if I just, everybody, I tell about Jesus, maybe that's it. And so I did. I would radically redirect my day if someone came into my path and I would share the gospel with them. And that was great. But it never felt like I quite shared the gospel enough. And I kept asking that question, am I doing enough for God? And no matter what I focused on, it always felt like the answer was no. I'm never doing enough for God. And so I fell into this dark spiritual depression because I could never get where I wanted to be. I loved God. I, I loved Jesus. But I could never quite get to that point where I felt like I was doing enough for the God who loved me. And here's the error I made. I made the foundation of my faith, the bottom line of everything, what I was doing for God rather than what God had done for me in Jesus Christ. And because I got those things confused, I fell into a dark spiritual depression. See, here's the thing. Christians whose confidence is based on what they do for God aren't very confident at all. In fact, they're full of anxiety, they're insecure, and they're always wondering, have I done enough for God? But Christians whose confidence comes from what God has done for them in Jesus Christ find that they actually do have confidence and joy and love and security and a deeper desire to actually do things in response for God because of what God has done for them. What has God done for us? First John 3, 1 says this, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. What I love about this verse is that first word, see, in the Greek, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. 
but it's not telling us something that we have to do for God. It's telling us to look at what God has done for us. See what great love the Father has given to us. You know, in every human heart, there is this question, am I lovable? Am I worthy of love? Am I good enough to be loved? What happens when I'm exposed for who I really am? Will I still be loved? Have I earned love? Will I do enough to be loved? And listen to what the text says. It doesn't answer that question at all. It doesn't say, are you lovable? It says, look at the God who loves, not based on who you are or who you aren't, but who he is. See what great love the Father has given to us. And just so if there's an inkling of thinking that we have to somehow earn the Father's love, John tells us it's love that has been given. He says it twice. Love isn't really love if it has to be earned. But just to make sure we understand that God is really freely giving us his love, it's love that has been given by God. And it's not just an ordinary love. It's a great love. It's a great love. That means it's high quality. It's high quality, top shelf love that we can't earn or we can't get if we stand on our tippy toes. Yet he gets it and he gives it to us. And it's a type of love that takes spiritually dead people and brings them to life. It's a type of love that makes people who don't love God into people who love God. It's a type of love that takes rebels and sinners and criminals in God's eyes and makes them his beloved children. That is the great love that we should be called God's children. One of the great Christian doctrines is called the Imago Dei, the image of God. And what the Imago Dei says is that every human being, man, woman, child, black, white, brown, whatever color, rich, poor, whatever social class, they are all made in God's image. They all have God's thumbprint of his creative design on them, and therefore every human being is worthy of dignity and respect and honor. And really that doctrine is the, is the basis for us combating racism. Because the image of God says there is no race but the human race. And that there is a variety of humans, but all are created in the image of God. And there is no room for one race to think that they are better than any other race. Yet, we often get this confused in our culture because we think, we say things like, we're all God's children. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says we are all God's creation. We're all made in the image of God. But we're not all God's children when we're born. Rather, we are born into this world made in the image of God, but also rebelling against our creator. We are at odds with his will for us. He tells us, here is my law that I want you to do. And we say, no, thank you. I'll do what I want to do. Just like I did in college, I said, I am going to live life my way, and I don't want to be told what I can and can't do. And so when it comes to stacking myself up against God's commands for humanity, I fell drastically short, and so do you, and so does every human being. And the thing about God's commands and God's law, we often look at these things as if it's just busy work. 
that God has given us. If you ever got in trouble in grade school and you had to write sentences, you go, I will not, whatever you did, and then you got to do it 30 times. And we look at God's commands as if there's some sort of busy work that he's bored and doesn't have anything to do. But rather, God's law comes from his character. It comes from who he is. And so when he gives us commands, it's, it's an expression of what he's about and the things that he values. Just like when I look at my kids and I tell them, go say thank you to that person who did you a favor. It's not just that I want them to say thank you. It's that I want them to feel thankful on the inside because I value that. And every one of God's laws comes from what he values on the inside. And so when we come out saying, I want to live life my way, we are shaking our fist at our creator's plan for all humanity. And therefore, we are not born as God's children, though we are born as his creation. Rather, we are born as those who violate his law, are at odds with his will, and therefore under his judgment. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't fulfill his law. We don't want to fulfill his law. We need help. We need someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Galatians 4 then says this. You can go one more. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What Paul is telling us in this text is that Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. We were born under God's law, and we could not fulfill God's law. But Jesus came as the God-man who was under God's law and perfectly obeyed God's law on our behalf. He perfectly loved God. He perfectly loved neighbor. He fulfilled every one of God's commands to redeem you. Redeem those who are under the law. In other words, to buy you back from the debt that you owe God for your moral failure to fulfill his law. Jesus came to pay the penalty that you should pay. He died the death that you deserve to die. But not only that, he came so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, that's how we become children of God. It's not through creation. It's through adoption. And really, the adoption ceremony goes public in our baptism. When we are baptized in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is God publicly saying, this person is now my child. My name is on them. Many in our church have adopted children. Some have been adopted, and some have been to adoption ceremonies. And if you've ever been to an adoption ceremony, you'll know that the family who is adopting the child sits next to their lawyer in front of the judge, surrounded by friends and families who act as witnesses. And there's a point in the ceremony where the lawyer puts the family on the spot, and says, this child that you're about to adopt, will you be fully responsible for them? Will you pay their bills? Will you give of yourself emotionally? Will you take care of them when they're in trouble? 
and the family says yes publicly before all these witnesses. And there's, there's always a joke that the lawyer throws in, especially when the child's younger. And the joke the lawyer throws in is, well, they're small now, but what about when they're a teenager? Will you still care for them the same way? And before the judge and before the witnesses, the family says, yes, I am committed to this child. I am taking them into my family. Legally, I am bound to them, and I am giving them my name. And that's exactly what God does for you. God's all in. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Absolutely committed to you as his child. Absolutely committed to father you, no matter what trouble you cause. Absolutely committed to walk with you as your dad, no matter what trials you encounter. He is all in with you because he has adopted you through Jesus Christ. But the language here is a little strange because it says in Galatians that we're adopted not as children, but we're adopted as what? Sons. Now, ladies, before you get mad at me, let me explain what's going on here. First of all, in the body of Christ, sometimes it gets weird because men are part of the bride of Christ, but women are called to be sons. And that's not a put down on women. That's actually an elevation of women. And let me explain why. In Greco-Roman culture at this time, uh, the head of household, the father, took the firstborn son And that son became the overseer of the inheritance. Everything that the father owned could be given to that son without anything else going to the younger children. Now, if there wasn't a firstborn son, the father, the overseer of the household, could select a servant and let them fulfill that position as a firstborn son and select them, this person who's not even blood, to be the heir of everything that they owned, to have all the rights and privileges of being the firstborn son in this father's household. And what Paul is communicating to us is that through Jesus Christ, it's not just that we're individually adopted as children. We have all been collectively given this spot as the firstborn son. Not because we've earned it, but because Jesus has earned it for you. We are the heirs of God through adoption. Because together, you and I are in Christ. That's the only reason. It's not anything that we have done. It's everything that Christ has done for us through his death, through his life, through his resurrection, through his ascension. Galatians 3.27 says this, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And then to clarify what our status comes from, he says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, when you repent of your sins and you believe in Jesus Christ, your status is son of God because your position is in Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. You are fully accepted with all your spiritual warts, with all your failures, with all your flaws, with all the times you let God down, you are fully accepted, and your status is secure not based on anything that you have to do before God, but everything that Jesus has done for you before God as the perfect son. What does that mean for us today? I want to give you three application points. If you can go to 1 John 3, 1. When John writes about being children of God, Notice the first thing here at the end, he doesn't, he doesn't say, and I am, or and you individually are. What does he say? And we are. And collectively, we have all been given the status of a child of God. We are all the heirs of God, like the firstborn son. Collectively, we are one in Christ with God as our father. We are God's blended family. That's how God sees it. We are in a really divided time. Politics and pain and plans all are dividing people. And all those things are real. It's not that they're not real. They're real. Everything that's going on in our country right now is real. Everything that's going on in the world right now is real. And, and, and these situations are serious. It is life or death. And yet what has happened is we have begun as Christians to find a new basis for considering whether we are children together before God. In other words, we're looking to anything besides what Jesus has done for us for whether we should accept each other. The basis for Christian love is not seeing issues exactly the same way. The basis for Christian love is being children of God together based on what Jesus has done for us. And it's when we get that first that we're able to have a foundation to work on everything else. Because your love for someone else isn't based on what they do for you, but rather what Jesus has done for them and for you. And it's not that issues of justice don't matter. They do. God loves justice. He delights in justice in the earth. And yet sometimes I find that we can agree on, what, uh, on issues of injustice, but not agree on how to correct it. And my concern is that I see Christians becoming passionate about one way to correct injustice and therefore dividing from others who don't agree with them. And all of a sudden we have worked ourselves out of what John and Paul are telling us that we not only belong to God as children, but we belong to each other. And that is really the basis for us working out all this turmoil about politics and pain and plans, that we could look at each other and say, we are, we are children of God because what Jesus has done. And when you're committed to that, there is a lot of room and a lot of love, and a lot of forgiveness to work on everything else. 
So don't lose that this Father's Day. Don't lose that phrase. And we are. We are children of God. But then secondly, you're part of the we. So you can say, and I am. I am a child of God. I'm part of God's family, but I, as an individual, am part of the family of God. God is my father. I am his child. He loves me. And that, you can find your deepest identity in that. Not in what you do for God, but on the fact that he calls you son and daughter. Beloved son. Beloved daughter. And honestly, when you begin to understand that, you can actually get into some of the junk in your life. If you're not secure in God being your father and your identity before him, your status in Jesus Christ, you will not be able to unpack anything shameful or feelings of guilt in your life because you'll be too scared of uncovering them. But once you rest in God's great love for you and can say, I am a child of God, and no matter what I do in my life, no matter the failures from my past, no matter how I've fallen short, no matter how I've disregarded God, I can look at those failures because looking at those failures and admitting them and finding the places of shame in my life doesn't change my status as a child of God. It's based on what he's done, not what I have to do. And so you can not only say, and we are children of God, but you can say, I am a child of God. And when you begin to get that right, it will change your life. It will change your walk with God. That's actually what happened to me. Right out of college, I was still in this spiritual funk. I just couldn't figure it out. What is the, what is the point of our faith? What do I have to focus on here? I, I just can't move on to the next level. I don't ever feel confident in my walk with God. I don't have any joy. It just feels dark. And then I discovered this, that it wasn't about what I was doing for God. It was about what God had done for me. I began to understand my identity in Jesus Christ. I began to understand that I was fully forgiven and fully loved, not based on my performance. And that my security as a child of God came from God's decision to adopt me through Jesus, not something that I had committed to him. I was in his hand. And I'll be honest with you, when I began to discover these things, it scared me. Because I began to experience I began to love God, not just in some sort of bartering agreement, but see him for who he really is and how he loved me. And my affections for him grew. I began to see the fruit of the Spirit work themselves out in my life. And it scared me because I realized that I had been living my Christian life under this performance mentality, in this insecurity. And all of a sudden, I felt free as a child of God. And I remember being in my Ford Taurus in 2002, driving down Murfreesboro Road south of Nashville, having discovered these things and being so confused because I felt like my relationship with God was based on what I had done, not on what God had done for me, and then finding out what God had done for me and feeling this freedom to really love him. And it scared me. And as I was in the car, I called my father. 
And I began to explain to him about this freedom I had in, in Christ and this joy that I was experiencing as a child of God. And I said, I feel like I'm making Jesus into an idol. I don't know what to do because my heart is coming alive and I feel like the pressure's off. The, the, the basis for this relationship isn't my commitment, but God's commitment. But as I look at God's commitment, I want to be more committed. I'm finding joy in being a child of God. And as I said that into that old Nokia phone that I had, driving down Murfreesboro Road in my Ford Tourist, I'll never forget what my dad said to me. He said, John, you've just discovered what it means to be a Christian. I'll never forget that. Have you discovered the joy of being a child of God? That he is your father. That no matter how far you fall short, you cannot fall out of his hands. You are secure based on the work that Jesus has done for you, not on how you perform for God. And that's not some little side section of Christianity. That is Christianity. That's what actually gives us the power to repent from sin. That's what gives us the true affection for God and wanting to know him and love him and serve him and share about him and pray to him. It is understanding that our faith is not founded on what we do for him, but what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And when you begin to do that, you can celebrate him as your father. That's my third point. My third walk away for you is just to celebrate God as a good, good father. Not, not, none of us are perfect fathers. We all long to be better fathers. Sometimes even talking about fathers can bring up places of pain in our lives. But wherever you're at in that journey of fatherhood or with your own father, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a good good father who loves you and you are a child of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have done on our behalf. We thank you that through your work we can say we are children of God and nothing can change that. Lord, we pray that this would go deep into our hearts that we might find a deeper identity in being your child God that we might be able to love each other and bear with the failings of each other and be people who seek your kingdom here in this city together. Thank you that it's not based on what we've done for you, but based on what you have done for us. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.